Welcome in to today's episode of the Blanket Coverage Podcast. This is episode 329. Uh, we're going to be recapping a wild conference championship week in the NFL. Uh, we're also going to dive into a little bit of Pro Bowl stuff. Uh, Senior Bowl is going on right now as well. And then we're going to dive into some basketball content. Uh, we're going to take our shot at uh, – Doing some college basketball, may get to some NBA. We'll see uh, how the time pans out here. But, Jack, let's start with last weekend. Uh, Take us through, quite frankly, a ridiculous game uh, in Kansas City. Yeah, um, we know we've seen our slew of very ridiculous games over these last few weeks, uh, most notably, obviously, with the Kansas City-Buffalo game and the uh, L.A. Rams up against the Bucks. But this one was uh, pretty much just as good up there with Cincinnati-Kansas City, the four versus the two seed in Arrowhead. Only one quarterback has ever managed to beat a Mahomes-led Chiefs team, and that was, of course, Tom Brady. And now we can add in Joe Shiesty to that list uh joe burrow and jamar chase have never lost a playoff game together uh that trend is still going on now um since he was down by 18 and one the chiefs blew a 21 to 3 lead and it was 17 to 3 in the second half slash overtime uh kelsey's touchdown did time for the most in a single postseason uh by a tight end at 12 uh tying him with gronk um so that was impressive of him to at least get that accomplishment but I think it's safe to say that this Cincinnati team is not even slightly a fluke. Getting Joe Burrow was absolutely the best pick they could have gotten there. Getting Jamar Chase was not a mistake. The fact this offensive line is still holding up is really kind of remarkable, but I think that just goes to show when your quarterback and wide receiver and the rest of that offense is just that good, and when your defense is playing really solid defense, you win a lot of football games. So uh, Cincinnati is still getting it done. They were 10-7 and in the regular season, but they are 3-0 and so far in the postseason. And one more, and yes, the Bengals could be, could be Super Bowl champions. And I think that is an absurd thing to say out loud. But I know Ryan, if he's watching this, is going to be absolutely thrilled. So kind of pretty nuts. <laughs> this is pretty cool to see. Yeah, no kidding. And, I mean, the fact that it was 21-3 to at halftime, um, everyone's going into halftime thinking, well, and especially after the Chiefs go up 21 to three in the first half, everyone's thinking, well, you know, we know how this goes. Um, you can't, you can go up 21 to three against the Kansas City Chiefs and still lose, uh, but you can't go down 21 to three against the Chiefs and still lose. I mean, and still win, right? They don't blow that. It's very uncommon for that to happen. Blow that, especially in Arrowhead. Um, Obviously, we can nitpick uh, at some specific things that Kansas City did. Uh, Most notably, the Travis, I mean, the uh, Tyreek Hill swing pass. Instead of throwing a quick shot to the end zone, they tried to get Tyreek Hill in a little bit of space. Uh, Took a real gamble there. and it didn't pay off, and that ended up being huge um, in the second half once Joe Burrow started to get going a little bit. Um, I applaud the Cincinnati defense for what they did in that second half. Uh, they mostly dropped eight uh, and just made Patrick Mahomes sit back there and figure out where to go in their coverage when they've essentially got everyone doubled uh, that is important doubling Tyreek Hill, uh, bracketing Travis Kelsey, um, making sure that they can't find the and, – and at the beginning of the game – I'm sorry, I'm jumping around here a little bit. At the beginning of the game, Very I good. was watching Travis Kelsey just every play. They were Travis Kelseying the Chiefs to death, right? They're going 10 yards, 10 yards, 10 yards. It looked like the AFC championship against the Titans – where all the Titans did is play cover three and cover four and cover six. And Mahomes was able to find Kelsey uh, or Hill or Demarcus Robinson or whoever was on the field just running that curl route. Um, They live on that in the playoffs if you'll give it to them every time. Patrick Mahomes will take eight yards every single time. 
which is what makes him a great quarterback, but he's also a heat-seeking missile. And in the second half, we saw that heat-seeking missile uh, mess up a little bit. Um, Threw an interception in a really important spot. Uh, That gave the Bengals essentially an extra possession. Um, And then, of course, not to score after winning the coin toss going into overtime. That, I mean, that's a 90% winning percentage. That's a night. Teams are 10 and one since the playoff rule change um, in overtime in the playoffs uh, when they win the coin toss. 10 and one. And the Chiefs choked that too. Uh, I can't help but think this is just bad karma for Patrick Mahomes' annoying wife and brother. But uh, props to Joe Shiesty. standing. I in mean, the- I mean, if you can't already read the byline uh, underneath with uh, Joe Burrow with all the all the R's and the icy emojis, you know I had to do it um, because you know he had to do it to him, and it was pretty uh, it was pretty amazing to see that. So uh, I really did enjoy uh, just sort of witnessing all of that uh, go down. Uh, next up we have here, which this game proved to me one thing, and it proved to me over everything else, that for the first time in a long time, and I get they had a good season, I get that even if they had lost this game, they would have made a conference championship, but for the first time, I truly feel like Matthew Stafford is free. This is the Matthew Stafford, which in a good system, I'm aware that like every other quarterback in the history of football and every other quarterback that will ever be a player in football, you do have to have a lot of elements around you to really succeed. Obviously it's team sport, but to go from the lions to this year's Rams team is about as dramatic as you can possibly shift within one season. And we can see this going from a bottom five team multiple years in a row to being a super bowl team in one year, which mind you, the Bengals did too. The Bengals and what the at least what his old team was like both of these quarterbacks if you had told me a year ago that the super bowl would be between Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow i don't really know what i would do to you and again this is assuming that Stafford is still in contract with the lions that would have been shocking so but it happened and and cup had a fantastic day 142 yards and two touchdowns to no one's surprise LA comes back down 10, outscoring San Francisco 13-0, and once again, shocked that Kyle Shanahan chokes another playoff game away. Isn't that weird? Um, And uh, I do have to give Jimmy G at least a smidgen of credit uh, that he did indeed uh, not just throw picks only. Um, Of course, he did throw a pick, but he did at least uh, get a couple of touchdowns. So I I will give him that. He did finally score. But 232 yards on 30 throws isn't exactly a ton to be happy about, but no. Again, Joe, Bur- Joe, Joe, uh, uh, Joe, uh, Jimmy G was not horrible this game. Uh, I will not say that. I will be fair. He was not terrible this game. Um, it still was a very, very tough thing. And like uh, an, an article on ESPN said, uh, the Jimmy Garoppolo 49ers hourglass is nearly out of sand. Uh, this whole thing has sort of gotten a little bit silly at this point. I, I don't really see how San Francisco can see themselves as a perennial title contender with Jimmy G under center. And yes, I do understand that they were two blown leads away from potentially two Super Bowl titles when instead you had an NFC title and really close to a second one. So obviously nobody is saying that the Niners have not had success over the last three or four seasons. They absolutely have. I'm not going to knock that. But to be a real powerhouse kind of team, you're just going to need a more powerhouse quarterback. And Jimmy G's not that guy. Stafford is when put in that position. Jimmy G's just not. And that's a perfect segue to kind of what I wanted to get at here. Um, if you watch that game, and I want to take this to a little bit of a larger point here rather than just kind of nitpicking the game. Because what happened in the game was the Rams offense found their rhythm in the fourth quarter and Jimmy G was terrible in the fourth quarter. That's what happened in this game. Yeah. You don't really true. need much more context other than Jimmy G was like three for nine or three for 11. I don't have the exact score line, but he only completed three passes in the fourth quarter. And yes, this team is necessarily built on a run game, but uh, you still have to have your quarterback make plays in the fourth quarter. And this is a theme we've been talking about all year, but we're seeing it play out. I think in now in today's league, in the time of now, what you're seeing is 
if you don't have one of these quarterbacks, you need to be doing everything in your power to get one. Uh, this is not an original idea. I heard Robert Mays t- from The Athletic talking about this just a week or two ago. Um, but what you're seeing is w- we never thought Cooper Cup was this guy before Stafford came into the building. Yeah, Jared Goff was wasting his talent because he can't throw that deep post. He can't throw that deep middle route that Cooper Cup loves to run. Uh, Matt Stafford is going to take advantage of Cooper Cup. We never saw him break out like this. Um, Whereas the 49ers, they can't really use their guys as much downfield. They've got to rely on creative ways to get Debo Samuel the ball because they're afraid of Jimmy Garoppolo throwing picks because he can't throw the deep ball. Uh, which we've seen in the Super Bowl and in this game in the first quarter. So what you're seeing is the Niners absolutely made the right move. Now, whether it pays off or not, that's what you that's the gamble you take in drafting a quarterback as opposed to going and getting a Matt Stafford who's ready made. Um, we're gonna see how Trey Lance fits into this offense next year, but it certainly validates their decision. Uh, to move up and get him because this is a team that's ready to win right now. Their offensive line didn't give up a sack to one of the best defensive lines in football with Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd on the other side. They didn't give up a sack. Now you yeah. take Trey Lance, that, you throw him behind yeah. that offensive line, and he's not a pocket passer, and he can move around a little bit. And if he, he can, can get really big. get the ball out of his hands and move the ball downfield, this is a roster that's ready to win. Um, and I think – there are more lessons to be taken away for other teams than there are for the 49ers. The 49ers know what the problem was in this game. They know what the problem was for other teams watching this game, like the Tennessee Titans, which is just an example I want to give here. If you're the Tennessee Titans watching this game, I don't know how you can stick with Ryan Tannehill. He and Jimmy G are different players, but they are, roughly the same level of player. Um, and we both we saw their mistakes pop out in the most important moments of the season for their teams. So if you're not one of those teams with a Stafford, with a Burrow, with an Allen, with a Mahomes, etc. And I talked about this in my piece on the Titans this week, but you need to be able to get that guy. You need to be doing everything in your power and you're not doing your job as a GM if you're not at least trying Uh, to get someone better and bigger in the building that can show up in the fourth quarter of a playoff game when everyone and their mother knows you're passing the ball. Which I I think they can. I think they can. Yeah. I did want to mention um, a couple other notes um, on this game. Uh, This will then be putting, of course, the Rams uh, as the hosts of Super Bowl 56, which will make them the second team in history to host a Super Bowl um, and also be playing in the Super Bowl. The first was literally last season uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, hosting Super Bowl 55 and, of course, winning it over the Chiefs. So kind of wild that in 54 Super Bowls, no one had ever hosted um, and been present in the game. And then now all of a sudden it's happened in back-to-back games. So kind of (laughs) crazy that we happen to have back-to-back years. But uh, you did see who's going to be the host next year. (laughs) It's – is it the Raiders? Super Bowl 57 will be in Los – oh, no, no, Las Vegas a little bit. Uh, it will be in Cardinal Stadium, as it should oh. be called. Uh, sadly, State Farm Stadium is what we're mandated to say in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, Glendale, but basically Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it's the fourth one hosted in the Phoenix metropolitan area. Last one, of course, was Super Bowl uh, 49. Uh, that was a game that we don't need to discuss again because that was the Patriots-Seahawks game. So if history goes to show, uh, maybe we'll see another great Super Bowl there. Uh, 58 is going to be – that's going to be at the Raiders Stadium. 59 will be at the Saints because for some reason that decrepit piece of garbage building is still getting Super Bowls in there for some reason. And then Super Bowl 60 is the first one to not be decided yet, so we don't know. But um, and apologies to any Saints fans if I disrespected your stadium, but – you need to get a new stadium, but there's another team that needs a new stadium more. We're going to get to that in a minute, but uh, first of all, wanted to point out this weekend, 
we got the Pro Bowl, where we get to see a bunch of players that are not necessarily the best players, but they are definitely the most popular players. And actually, with this season having pretty much all of the top seeds out of the playoffs, there actually could be a lot of fun players that won't necessarily be sitting in this game, uh, simply due to the fact that um, your top three seeds on both sides uh, all ended up losing before the Super Bowl. Um for the first time ever. So we're seeing a lot of teams that could potentially have players that we don't usually see in this game that come on in. Uh, Mike Vrabel, of course, as you know, well, Titans head coach will be your AFC head coach. And then Matt LaFleur of the Packers will be the NFC head coach. Uh, This game is a makeup for 2021 because 2021 was supposed to be um, in Vegas. So this game is a makeup game uh, to give it to Vegas simply because obviously 2021 Pro Bowl did not happen. Um, for the offense, uh, the AFC, at least here's your starters. The AFC is going to start Justin Herbert, uh, Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, um, and then wide receiver will be Tyreek Hill and would be Jamar Chase, but instead will be either Stephon Diggs or Keenan Allen. Uh, tight end will be Mark Andrews. Offensive tackle will be Rashawn Slater of the Chargers, Orlando Brown of Kansas City. Guards will be Quentin Nelson, unsurprisingly, from Indy, Joel Petonio uh, from Cleveland, and then your center, Corey Lindsey from the Chargers. So how about the Chargers getting um, two offensive linemen and a quarterback there? Um, defense, uh, your starters are Miles Garrett and Max Crosby of Vegas. D-tackle are DeForest Buckner of Indy and Chris Jones of KC. Outside linebacker are, to no one's surprise, TJ Watt and Joey Bosa. Uh, inside linebacker, Darius Leonard. Cornerbacks, J.C. Jackson of New England and Xavier Howard of Miami. Free safety, Kevin Byard of the Tennessee Titans. And then Derwin James will be your strong safety, who's just recently changing his number to number three. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, Derwin James has changed his number next year. Um, And then your special teams, uh, of course, the legendary Justin Tucker at your place kicker, and then Vegas' Cole uh, back at punter. And for the NFC, uh, no surprise with Aaron Rodgers starting up at quarterback, uh, Dalvin Cook in the backfield, Kyle Juszczyk at fullback, uh, Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams remain wide receivers, but those will be replaced by either Debo Samuel or Justin Jefferson for Cup's, Cup's obvious absence. George Kittle at tight end, and then Trent Williams of San Francisco, Tristan Wirfs of Tampa Bay at your tackle, Zach Martin at offensive guard, as well as Brandon Scherf of Washington, and your center, Jason Kelsey. On the defense, Nick Bosa and Brian Burns at your defensive ends. Aaron Donald uh, will not be here, but instead Kenny Clark will be in at D-tackle, and Jonathan Allen of Washington. Outside linebackers will be Chandler Jones and Robert Quinn. Shout out Chandler Jones. Go Orange. Um, inside linebacker, Micah Parsons, who had a one heck of a season. Uh, cornerback, Trayvon Burntos Diggs will be uh, alongside Jalen Ramsey, who will not be playing. So Darius Slay or Marshawn Lattimore. Um, again, kind of mind-blowing that uh, A.J. Terrell was not on this list, but that's neither here nor there. Free safety, Quandre Diggs from Seattle. And then finally, your strong safety, Buddha Baker from Arizona. Your kicker will be Matt Gay, but for replacement, Jake Elliott from Philly. And your punter will be Brian Anger out of Dallas. So your top selections on teams is the Colts with seven, Chiefs with six, Chargers with six, and Ravens and Browns with five each. Uh, The Broncos, Texans, Jags, and Jets did not get any Pro Bowlers, which is kind of sad. Um, I mean, not exactly anyone's surprised. Uh, and then for the NFC, uh, saw a, a little bit tighter of a range on here. The Bucks with nine selections. So once again, all that help that Tampa Bay is getting, unsurprisingly. Uh, Niners with seven. So even though they're a six seed, Niners with seven. Cowboys with six. And the Vikings and Eagles with five apiece. Uh, the only one team that not get a single Pro Bowler in the NFC. And can you take a guess who that is? Oh, boy. One team. Zero Pro Bowlers in the NFC. The New York Giants. Yep. Even the Lions got one. <laughs> Even the Lions. That's embarrassing. Um, that's just – that's embarrassing. Yeah. I'm actually seeing who was the, the Lions player to um, to get selected. Oh, it's Jonah Jackson, uh, third-string offensive guard. So good for you, uh, Detroit, to get one in there. But but actually good for him because if you're an offensive lineman that gets a Pro Bowl nod on Detroit, that that says a lot. So good yeah. for you, man, for getting that spot. Um, so, yeah, that is your Pro Bowl list. This game will be on ESPN. Uh, this will also be simulcast on ABC and 
Disney XD, baby. So if you're tuning in on Disney XD, you can watch the Pro Bowl. Why can't um, they do it on Nickelodeon? That's my <laughs> question. Uh, this actually is the final year of the contract uh, with Disney XD. This will be the last year you could ever watch the NFL Pro Bowl on Disney XD. So you better be tuning in. It's going uh, to be on Netflix Kids next year. It is. Uh, it will never not be funny. So I really, really, uh, really do enjoy that. But um, that's going to be your Pro Bowl rundown. And then because we don't have a ton to talk about the NFL, and we usually just do game recaps in the game, I was bringing up three different things that happened around the league for this time, just because I was like, you know what, we need to talk a little bit about other things in the NFL. The first thing is a note that I really wanted to talk about here because I just yes. wanted to dig into this. After two years of careful deliberation, the team that was formerly known for decades upon end as the Washington Redskins has changed their name to, of course, the Washington football team, where it stayed for two years, because, yes, it is that difficult for a multi-million dollar company, almost billion dollar company, to come up with a name and uniforms. Even though you're the same color scheme, like, it's not even that hard. You're, you're not even doing that big of a rebrand. rebrand. Something. Think of something. And for two years, they could not think of anything. Until now. And we introduced the team that I called a week ahead of time before seeing any leaks. So I actually need to retweet that tweet because I, I did call it early correctly. But I tweeted correctly and I predicted that we would see the Washington Commanders. <laughs> And everyone rejoiced. Um, by everyone, I mean absolutely nobody. Uh, this choice was completely panned across the board. The uniforms were panned. The name was panned. The stadium is literally falling apart. And can we ask Dan Snyder for a comment? Well, he's just happy we're representing the history of a team. Because what better name to replace a Native American group than the people who wiped them out? Sounds good, military uh, military name, replacing Native American one. So I uh, thought that was a, a great change there. Um, so I, great, I just, great for that. I just wanted to know. <laughs> I just wanted to know. Oh. Why do we constantly overthink everything? Why are rich people so freaking dumb? <laughs> why, why did it take – you had two years – to come up Two with years. a damn name. Two and you years. land on the commanders? The best part, the best part is that it, people were yelling to put in Red Wolves. Was like the top option for a long yeah. time was to do Red Wolves. And they said, we can't do that because of copyright issues. We aren't allowed to do that. Can I can I present you something real quick? Because remember, you remember, you can't do Red Wolves. Can't do Red Wolves because that is copyrighted. Somebody already did that. You can't do that. But there's a little team down in Texas that you may not know. Now, Noah, I'm certain you know this team because we, in fact, were at not a game where this team was present, but we were indeed at a place where someone played this team before. And if you're confused by this, it's because this exists. <laughs> now, technically, technically, the league does not exist anymore, so I understand. This is only in 2019, and then it went away. But it is a little funny <laughs> that they the one name they came up with wasn't even one that was original. And even if you look in, look at the Twitter. Look at this. Twitter. Hashtag take command on their Twitter. See that? Now let me click on hashtag take command. Where does that lead me? They couldn't even make their own hashtag. <laughs> Chase Young looks sad. Look at this. Look at this so image. <laughs> look at this image. That's how I felt when I saw. It. Honestly, I, 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 I hope this clip gets taken for social media. Just this whole thing. To just look at this. It a a hashtag they didn't create. It could be worse. I I just want to go back to my original point, which is. This awful why, white jersey. Why even not, try. Like burgundy? Okay, those are terrible. Those, those, are, those are the worst. That might be the worst uniform in the league. 
Yeah, bit of a day yesterday. Bit of a day. Yeah, so what comments. if we just what if we just combined Iowa State and Army? <laughs> I just what like I again, wanna, this doesn't hammer. look that bad if it wasn't for that. This is so bad. Oh, the W that is so is. bad. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, this this uniform isn't even that terrible. I really don't. It's not good, but like this is this is gross. But well, it's not like the worst the thing. One. It, it's not that bad. This is bad. The W is so bad. You have yeah. to take that off. No, I I, just... I I agree. I just like a how out of touch do you have to be? Look, that this is not that bad. This is terrible. If the, you're the one Dan on the right, Snyder. the one on the right is the real one, mind you. That's the one they are debuting. Yeah. The one on the left is a fan-made one. It's unbelievable. I just don't understand why you can't just like put a poll out, like, "Hey, season ticket holders, what do you think the name should be?" But nope, Dan Snyder just said, "You know what? Everyone hates me anyway. I'm just gonna come up with the worst name of all time." <laughs> How out of touch do you have to be? Why do I, you I'm, over? Why do you overthink this? I'm I'm still not calling. They're still the football team to me. I, I'm not calling them the Commanders. <laughs> I said the exact same. I, thing. I'm not. I'm I'm not even kidding. When we do this podcast, if we keep doing this all the way, oh oh, when we're doing our exit interviews, you best believe we're doing a football team episode. I'm not doing a Commanders episode. Well, they were not the Commanders last year, so it makes sense. I I just. I think football I team we, awesome. and and we we roasted the football team at first. We we did. We said that it's Yeah, not, but at least it, but at least it's something that isn't just a corny fill-in name. That's the football, what the football team at least was like, yeah, it was sort of goofy, but the more you saw it, the more it was like is just Washington and the numbers. Like the I'm, old school that wasn't there. that bad. This I'm is trying to be a knockoff expansion team corny 2008 kind of nonsense this football is like, team football team grew on me I'll it say has that. some charm to it it has a little it's bit of unique. charm it's like oh we're the fo- it's also one of the oldest franchises in the nfl so it makes sense maybe yes. like oh we're they, the they, Washington they were, football listen, team re- listen to this <laughs> this was this was this was that. chase young this was chase young <laughs> what about commanders Sounds like a movie. Yeah. Okay. What about command F immediately? <laughs> and Dan Snyder's like, yup, we're going with that one. Oh man. And that was them. Yeah, that was yeah, this <laughs> can we when when can we make Dan Snyder's Oh man, no. Dan Dan Snyder being the it being the 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 owner still is just painful for me. Can you exile Dan Snyder to just like a yacht in the Middle East where he's never to be seen again? Like, there's no way, there's no way that a Washington fan is making fun of Giants uniforms. <laughs> there's no way. I gotta be, I gotta be honest. I don't like the gray pants, but I do like the blue jerseys. But it's not like this. Like, no. come on. It's, that that's just gimmicky. Like, I don't like the numbers like that. They like the, I don't think the dashes are that bad, but the dots, like, and the lines, like, doesn't this look like this was made on Photoshop? Like they're like, oh. all right, let's take the stars and this, and this is fine. Nothing wrong with this. But then, like, what is that? Like, oh man. I'll say it again. I think they were just like, what if we made army, but with Ohio, with the uh, Iowa State colors, because he like look at like this is Washington football team uniforms. Mm-hmm. And I get beautiful. they weren't the most special things in the world, but like they're classic. Oh, uh, that was a uh, that was not the right one. Um, like even this, I'll pull up. Um, I'll start sharing this screen. <laughs> Just to, just to show this one. But, like, that's not a bad look. No. This is not a bad look at all. It's a good look. In fact, I kind of like that. I like it a lot. Like, and I actually, I didn't even hate this when it came out. Like, even when it was no. originally. But look at this white uniform and look at this one. 
And and to be fair, I'll give it one tiny, tiny, tiny bit of credit. One very small amount of credit. I don't hate the matte helmets. I don't think they're that bad. I'm also a big matte helmet fan, but I don't think these helmets are that bad. I don't have a problem with them. They're the least heinous part of this uniform to me. I, I don't just, mind the helmets. I just need the Titans to unveil their Houston Oilers throwbacks. And just, I'll be just think about this, though, that with the first time in decades, we get a new rule that talks about having new helmets, and this is the first one we see. Just yep. think about that. First year in decades, we finally get to have the two-helmet rule back, which was so stupid to get rid of in the first place. First time. And, like, what I would do to see, what was it, like, the white helmet? Um, the Bengals. Like, look at this. Look how look how filthy this outfit would yeah. be. Look at that. That is absurd. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> if I, I saw we'll that, we should. It's beautiful. Like, this is an excellent – and the thing is, I don't even dislike it with the orange helmet. I think this is still good-looking, too. Yeah. But to have this – that's ridiculous. So yeah, no, I we've talked about this before. I don't like the Bengals helmets. I like it when it's all held together like this. I like that it's unique and does its thing. I like, I like I, I like helmets that do their own thing. Like I love the Eagles helmet. I love Michigan's helmet. Like I I, I really like all those helmets that are very non-normal. I guess those, I heavily those are... dislike how it's asymmetrical. Yeah, but it kind of works as a pattern, I guess. Like, I like the pattern of it. The Bengals uniform update was a very good update, though. Yeah. The New Jerseys were great. Big fan of those. Look, they're going to look it's... great on Super Bowl Sunday. Black jerseys, white pants, orange socks. I saw I saw one, uh, one reply that said, I'd rather get a Guardians jersey. <laughs> oh, no. Um, all right, next topic here. Wanted to mention this because I thought that it was worth mentioning, but the entire Brian Flores situation breaking down across the NFL um, has gotten in quite uh, an interesting uh, whole deal, especially with the Giants and with what Bill Belichick had to say. Because I don't know if you saw the Bill Belichick update um, with the texts that got out. Uh, did you see those texts that leaked? I did. Yeah, so basically for anyone listening that did not see those, um, basically it's it's – pretty confirmed that uh i I think it's confirmed that those tweets are 100 real and those are indeed bill belichick texting them those were straight Um, from the lawsuit yes it's just seeing if those texts were sent mistakenly or sent on purpose was the uh was the debate people had but the exact quote i have the um i'm gonna i'm gonna pull it up again for people to to see here but uh if you give me one i know we're sharing i like i like the visuals we're getting on here but want to share the screen so um here it is on twitter and so this is Bill Belichick texting Brian Flores. Sounds like you just landed. Congrats. You hear something I didn't hear. Giants? I interview on Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. And then he said, got it. I hear from Buffalo and NYG that you are their guy. Hope it works out if you want it to. And then it said, that's definitely what I want. I hope you're right, coach. Thank you. Coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian Dable? Just making sure. And then he said, oh, sorry. I effed this up. I double-checked and misread the test. I, text. I think they are naming Dable. I'm sorry about that, BB. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> so, yeah, this was supposed to be uh, – yeah, so Brian Forrest is suing the NFL and the New York Giants, alleging racism and hiring, uh, basically um, saying that due to a – I think it's – what is it? The, um, the Rooney rule, right, in the NFL, where you're required to interview a certain amount of, like, um, people of color or diversity, like uh, more diverse candidates – uh, in order to pursue no matter who you're going to hire or what you're going to do, you have to. And so I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you may have heard on this board that uh, uh, that Flores is suing them uh, because they just threw his name in as we're just using you as the diversity well, hire and not actually taking it seriously as a hire. And that they already had Debel, like Dable named and done when right. they were interviewing him. So right. was, the interview was a completely pointless interview just to fill a quota, even though they already had a guy basically said and done. Right. He he also alleges um, a similar interview process in uh, in Denver in 2019 before he got hired in Miami. Uh, he says that the Broncos brass showed up to the interview looking like they were fresh off of a bender. 
uh, like they had been out drinking and said Elway looked disheveled and he said they didn't really take uh, the interview seriously. Now the Broncos have come out and refuted that saying, well, we held three and a half hour interview. We took diligent notes um, and everything. I, I don't know who to believe on that one. Um, but it seems like this certainly, uh, whether, you know, whether a jury decides to uh, give Brian Flores a settlement or something, uh, it certainly seems like Flores uh, has some some real substance to these allegations. Uh, and I think a lot of coaches are going to come out um, and possibly back him up in the name of change. Because uh, it is ridiculous this offseason that Flores um, and uh, David Coley both get fired um, after doing a pretty good job in their respective situations. Uh, Flores yeah. didn't take Tua over Justin Herbert. Um, it, it, it's, it's just a, it's a hard situation, um, and I think there is – at the ownership level, because you see there are 32 white owners, um, I think there is at the ownership level um, definitely an undercurrent, whether it's uh, conscious or subconscious, of not wanting to hire as many black candidates, whether they think, um, you know, what, whatever their uh, excuse might be, I think there is a very real, um, a very real, and you've seen it over the last few years with all the hirings and firing. There is a very real um, undercurrent of discrimination uh, amongst the owners and within the hiring process on these staffs. Um, and props to Brian Flores for really putting his career on the line uh, for this. I'm sure uh, the NFL is going to try everything in their power to settle uh, before more information becomes public uh, that takes down the league. But it's really, um, it's really a question of how far Flores wants to take this, if he wants to settle or if he wants to take it all the way to court. Um, but I can't well, I imagine mention too last that we'll be seeing of this. Well, no, and and I, and I don't think we'll be either. But um, to add to that, uh, before moving on to a little more talk on the Giants as well, um, I, I did want to point out that the Miami owner Stephen Ross offered to pay Flores a hundred thousand yes. dollars for each loss because he wanted them to go down and get worse. He also pressured him to tamper as well. So. Hugh Talk Jackson. about owners doing some stuff. <laughs> Hugh Jackson came out and said he was paid 50K per loss. But, I mean, Hugh Jackson might have just been losing anyway. So that was basically a bonus on his way out. <laughs> that is true. That, that, that's also fair. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just a, just a note on that. That was just sort of interesting how that uh, may have ended up. But, yeah, very, very, very interesting scenario that's uh, breaking down throughout the NFL. We'll keep updated on that. Uh, last point here before we move on to our AFC NFC players teams of the week. Um, yes. And <laughs> we started fostering Kyle when he was. Come from you or me? That's me. Sorry. <laughs> Autoplay video. Yeah, we love that. Um, <laughs> uh, the New York Giants are today hiring Mike Kafka. He's the current Kansas City quarterback coach. As their new offensive coordinator, they plan to keep Graham at D.C. And then, of course, it's a move right after the New York Giants hired Brian Dabble, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, that was with their former Buffalo offensive coordinator. So my question to you, we don't need to spend too long on this, but just because we'll obviously dive into this much more into the uh, what will be a very interesting exit interview for the Giants. But what is your take on this? Do you think the Giants are making solid moves here? Is there a lot to work with? I know the Giants have a lot to become a real contending team. But what are your thoughts on that? Like every coaching decision, I really tend to reserve judgment until I see how it pays off on the field. Uh, and in some cases after a couple of years, but I do like to, um, I do like to see, you know, what is the franchise's vision um, with hiring this new, uh, set of coaches and GMs, uh, bringing in Brian Dabble and bringing in Mike Kafka. Um, 
are real signs that ownership is and and whether the front office is aligned in this, I have no idea. But that ownership is going all in on Daniel Jones. Um, it not unsimilar. I mean, it, the situations around the roster are different, but not unsimilar to the way uh, that the Titans handled the end of Mariota's career in Tennessee, where they're going look. We're bringing in uh, guys to help you. We're going to load the deck um, around you. Um, and we're going to see if you're our guy or if we need to go get um, someone else. So I think this is a real sign that Daniel Jones has no excuse anymore. Uh, if he doesn't come out and perform this year, uh, they will be replacing the quarterback there because you don't hire a guy like Brian Dabble if you're not going all in on the quarterback that you currently have um, and seeing how much you can get out of him. What this is really about is maximizing the potential, and if the potential's not there, uh, they're going to move on. So my big takeaway is that this is a tryout for Daniel Jones and that he has no more excuses uh, with being – whether I mean, you yeah. can make the excuse that Jason Garrett was in New York last year, and that's why he sucked. I just think Daniel Jones sucks, but we'll see what he can do with an offensive coordinator that has proven success with a young quarterback. Well, all right. Sounds like that is great on that end. We'll, of course, dive in a lot more when we get back to this team later, but we're going to go ahead and get knocked out our AFC, NFC player teams a week before we get to – our basketball content. So I'm going to start things off. NFC is going to stay with Cooper Cup. He did even better than he did last week, and he has proven to be the best wide receiver in the NFL this season and is absolutely killing it behind a quarterback who actually knows how to throw a football, unlike Jared Goff. And with the AFC, Joe Burrow, Joe Icy, Joe Show, Joe Shiesty, Joe whatever you want to call him, he's in the Super Bowl, and your favorite team is not, unless you're a Rams fan. So pretty Great, fantastic job by Joe Burrow. He has been the coolest man on the planet. Basically, I saw a lot of tweets that said he is in the running for white boy of the year. Uh, of course, with your uh, last year's champion of that, Jack Harlow, and then before that, Tyler Hero. So who could be it for this year? Uh, probably Joe Burrow to, to round, the, round the final votes out. Um, he's he's going to be my guy. Um, the great, great work for Joe Burrow to uh, have quite the successful season and year and he's not done yet so we'll see next uh, couple weeks from now for the nfc uh i had traven howard go frogs game ceiling interception from a member of uh benedict arnold's defense um at tcu and if you don't know who benedict arnold is referring to uh check the texas coaching staff and it will become pretty apparent um Tear down the statue. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Traven Howard, player of the week in the NFC. Go Frogs. And then the AFC, I'm going to go with Evan McPherson. Another game-winning kick. Um, that puts him to two in a row on game-winning kicks. I believe he's perfect this postseason so far. Um, and it goes to show you that if you can draft a really solid kicker in the late rounds. That's going to go a it's long way it. to help your it's team worth it. because you get them on a long-term deal and you don't have to go find, uh, you know, your Robbie Golds, your Matt Gaze, uh, your Ryan Suckup. Think of any journeyman kicker that just jumps from team to team by the week. Um, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, yeah. And Evan McPherson is a luxury that the Titans would have loved to have for years now. But of course we have fat Randy um, who I'm fully supportive. He put, he played great this year, uh, but AFC team or player of the week, uh, Evan McPherson, but let's dive into some NBA NCAA, excuse me, basketball content. We are now um, a little over a month away from March madness so jack what are some storylines that we should be following right now as we transition out of football season um and focus our eyes and in some cases our betting accounts on college basketball well first thing to note 
by far is that Bruce Pearl and Auburn have been off of the absolute chain so far. This Auburn team is perhaps the greatest Auburn team that we have ever seen in history, um, at least starting out. It is absolutely insane how much success that this team has had so far. It is really, really impressive um, to follow along with what the Tigers are putting together on this season. Um, Auburn so far is, uh, again, the number one team in the country. They are 21-1. and one. They have pretty much ripped through absolutely everything in their path. The only game that they have fallen in was all the way back on the 24th of November, and it was a six-point loss, 115-109 to 109 to the UConn Huskies, who, by the way, UConn putting in quite the successful season. I know it's been a few years since we've really talked about UConn being as good a basketball team as they should be, but they're really putting in some good work this year. Well, so they had the some sanctions they had to get past. Uh, they had to kind of retool yes. the roster, rebuild the coaching staff. But, it's, I mean, it's a program that's had a lot of historic success. I don't think yeah. it's hard to win at UConn uh, if you do the program the right way. Well, the good news for Auburn is that their schedule down the stretch is really not that hard left. They have at Georgia this weekend, who's not good. Um, at Arkansas, who's solid but slipped off. A&M, who's decent. Vanderbilt, not great. At Florida, who's very much on the bubble. Uh, Ole Miss at Tennessee, by far their hardest game left. And then at Mississippi State, who's also in the bubble. And then South Carolina. So not the hardest schedule for the number one team in the country uh, left to go, despite being in a tough, um, very tough SEC Um but getting teams like Kentucky out of the way and done and teams like Alabama, who they beat badly by 19 points last game. Like they're starting to get a lot of those big time upset watch games sort of over. But, um, but yeah, the new contract uh, for Pearl is quote for life. Um, it's a 10 year, it's a, an eight year deal. That's worth $5.4 million per season with a 250 K annual escalator. So basically it's $50 million for Bruce Pearl. So <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sure Auburn is completely all in. Um, it is very, very impressive uh, what they've been able to do there. And, yeah, Auburn is uh, pretty easily the best team in the country. It has been fantastic uh, to see what they have been doing over this season. They are pretty obviously projected to be a one seed. They still could lose a couple more games uh, and still be at the top. May really not matter that much. Uh, but they are pretty much guaranteed a lock in March Madness, and they have about a 28% chance to get the auto bid, which would be, of course, winning the SEC tournament. Uh, which is actually not the best odds in the SEC. They give Kentucky slightly better odds to win the tournament uh, despite that, which is very interesting uh, considering that they have three more losses uh, than Auburn and did not beat them. Uh, next up, uh, I know we talk about TCU basketball a lot on this podcast back when we were at TCU, but now TCU is actually very relevant. Um, TCU basketball is having one of their best seasons, easily their best season since 2018 when they went to March Madness and lost to the 8-9 game to Syracuse. But this is a really good TCU team. They've put together a really successful season, much on the backbone of a lot of transfers, and they've really been able to put a really good job together. Now, what I don't understand is why this team is not ranked yet. It's really bad why this team isn't ranked. And I'm not just saying that as a homer, but just to put a few things down, uh, TCU has more – uh, quad one wins, which means like the top tier of college basketball teams. We have more quad one wins than UCLA or Michigan State, as well as a few other teams that are ranked. So uh, TCU has lost a few games that are not exactly in the best quad either. But as of right now, if March Madness were to occur today, TCU is slated to be either an eight or a nine seed. We are 15 and four and are projected to go 19 and 11. And we are given 88% chance to make the tournament. So TCU sitting in a very good position right now. Their last couple of games were beating Oklahoma on the road for the first time ever. TCU had never beaten Oklahoma and Norman before this season, uh, which is a, sort of a sad stat. And then also beating number 19 LSU, who, yes, is still ranked even after TCU beat them. Still ranked, and TCU did not get ranked. So well, just note you, about that. But you want to know why we're not ranked? Because we lost by 19 points to Santa Clara. You don't get ranked and lose by 19 points to Santa Clara when you're in the Big 12. But you're still very close to getting ranked because the problem is, is that Iowa State's now losing more games than we are, and they're still ranked. A so even if you lose that one game. Texas. I mean, I'm rescinding my Fire Jamie uh, shtick from last year. That, that, that'll that be gone. But I, I'm 
I am hampering my expectations tremendously uh, this year. Because we I are the best defensive TCU. team in the Big 12, though. TCU is either the best or near the best. Now, the thing is, the offense is not good. The offense is what's lost those games, but the defense has been incredible. Well, the offense has never been good since Jamie's been here. Yeah, it's been hard to find a very great offensive-minded <laughs> team. But, no, that, that piece has gone quite well. Um, interested to see how the season will finish out. Uh, TCU next up plays against Kansas State who is one of the uh, bottom dwellers of the Big 12. That game is going to be in two days on Saturday. Uh, Mind you, Kansas State has already dropped down to a quad three game, so that game is absolutely necessary. Um, And, uh, yes, this this will be. If if TCU beats Kansas State, um, or I guess if loses to Kansas State, that would be – obviously a pretty big hit to their standings, but it's big for both teams. So That would be a very TCU thing to do. It would be. Uh, next up, I wanted to mention a little bit about Syracuse and the ACC, a conference that has absolutely fallen apart to shreds this season with the exception of a few surprises. Uh, one of them is the fact that Miami is actually very good. Um, I didn't think I would be saying that this season, but I have to give them credit. Uh, <laughs> I really I do. Um, wait to bet against them in the tournament. Oh, my God, they're going to lose in the first round. It happens uh, every time Miami's good. Yeah, they they will not win because guess what happened last night? They lost to Notre Dame. So it's it's – um, Miami is a solid team. They do deserve respect, but it is worth noting that if you're following the ACC and you look at a team and say, Hey, that team's actually really good. And they're not named Duke. Uh, that's just not going to be true. And I get Duke is not, I'm not saying Duke's national title favorite, but, um, Duke is definitely among the 10 or 12 best teams in the country. I think that's a very non hot take. Um, but Miami still has a ways to go. They've had a very good season, but they're sort of slipping a little bit. Uh, Georgia Tech, despite winning the ACC tournament last year, is absolutely horrible this season. They're 9-12, and 12, one of the worst teams in the ACC, so RIP them. But Syracuse finally getting a big win and beating NC State this weekend on the road. Uh, Cole Swider getting 19 points in the orange uh, deliver a big-time win, uh, holding NC State to zero points in the last two minutes of the game, which is pretty funny. So, um, yeah, shout-out Syracuse for at least doing something competent. It's been a while. Um, but yeah, the orange are a team that always makes some kind of weird deep season run, but I think this year may be a little bit too late for that. Um, Syracuse is usually one of those teams that's a being very fun tournament time, but it's pretty much unless winning out. Um, but for the orange, they have Louisville at Boston college at Virginia tech, Boston college, Georgia tech at Notre Dame, Duke at Carolina and Miami. Those last four games are really hard, but if you, you could win all of those games until then. Because Boston College is not good. Georgia Tech is terrible. And Virginia Tech is a beatable team. They're not easy, but they're beatable. And same thing with Louisville's beatable too. So if you can beat NC State on the road, you can beat all of those teams. NC State is is around as good as any of those teams are. So I just um, want to know from a Syracuse perspective, what happened between like eight years ago when Syracuse was consistently having winning seasons and in the top 25 rankings, and they were a very good program to now where basically they have to make a run from the 10 seed in the tournament every year. And because Jim Beheim plays a two, three zone, they confuse some teams. It's a weird thing to throw in a tournament time. I think part of it is the fact that the recruits aren't coming in as much. And then when they do, it's um, they're not getting any time. I mean, the production's because, all coming from people with the last name Bayheim, which I think tells you a lot. Well, and Buddy does count in that, but I do think that Buddy overperformed dramatically last season. And I think that was because he had a team that was very much built for his style of offense, and he was able to benefit off that and perform very much better than he should have. And... I get at the end of the day that Jimmy Beheim being from Cornell and coming up to be the first mid-major team this time is not like a massive player. And then when you're center, Jesse Edwards is a guy who is not really that strong of a center, which I know we don't really talk about centers being not very strong, but he's not, he's not very strong. <laughs> I mean, when he goes up and sort of, I mean, really, but he, when he tries to go up and, and get big hits and do something big, he just, he doesn't really do anything. And that becomes kind of a problem and so it's it's sort of pretty sad because here's the thing Syracuse in the last 45 years 45 years how many games how many seasons does Syracuse have a losing season last 45 years 
Uh, I I wouldn't know. The answer is zero. Not one. Jim Beheim did not have a single losing season in the last 45 years, which is when he started. Hmm. And so Syracuse is right now 11 and 11. And you still have UNC on the road. You still have Duke. You still have Notre Dame on the road, who just beat Miami and has is 15 and 7. So it's it, the defense on this team right now is the worst that it's been in over 30 years. That's a problem. Um, lots of free throw misses that you're usually not here. That's a problem. Um, a lot of commits going away from five stars that were normally here. Those went away. Um, since 2014, Syracuse has had 25 players they've signed on the recruiting trail, not, not through, um, uh, not through transfers, 25 players, seven of them, lasted one season before transferring or NBA nine in total eventually transferred. And um, then there's uh, one player who's recruited who through three seasons scored 42 total points. And then John Bullajack who's in the team right now. He's in his third season and he has 64 total minutes in three years. And then between even the last three years, six of SU's 11 recruits transferred out. And the only commits left from the last two classes are center Frank Anselm, who's the backup center who doesn't play much, and freshman forward Benny Williams, who doesn't really see the floor much, and who Beheim said to us that isn't good in practice at all. Terrible in practice, and he doesn't play him a lot. Over the last three seasons, Syracuse's class rankings went from 33rd to 42nd to 75th. You want to talk about how we're going down? (laughs) That's a big reason why it's going down. So, is, do you think this is a Bayheim thing? Well, you also have Quincy uh, Greer and Kadari Richmond, and Kadari Richmond, who I don't know if you've seen any of Seton Hall this year, but has really taken it taken it on at Seton Hall, and he left. He just sort of left because they said we're going to play Benny or we're going to put him in. Benny never played. I mean, here's the thing: Syracuse scored 89 points last night. 89 points. They played three bench players, so only an eight-man rotation. Guess how many bench points Syracuse had in that game? 89 points, total scored 189-82. Probably like 14. Zero. Goodness. Zero bench points. You want to know how many teams are worse in the country than Syracuse in bench minutes? Zero. Zero. Bench points, they aren't the worst, but they average six bench points a game. Six as a team. That's unbelievable. Yeah. You want to find a really strange team to study in college basketball? This is a very strange team to study in college basketball. Very, very strange. But mind you, Syracuse, only playing their starter scoring, shot 60%. They shot 58 from three. 58 and 60 from the field. And out-rebounded NC State. They played a great game. So Syracuse... Syracuse probably not going to make it in the bracket unless, of course, uh, the 2-3 zone really just causes some problems in the ACC tournament and down the stretch. Even if, even if Syracuse wins out, they're going to have to win at least two or three ACC tournament games, and even then, that's a stretch. But the thing is, right now, if you look at the ACC standings, and I'll, after this, we'll move on to bracketology, but um, just mentioning the ACC standings, um, and I'm going to pull them up right here just so everyone can see what I'm talking about. Um, sorry, it takes a minute to get here, but so here's the ACC standings. So Duke, UNC, Miami fell because they're lost in Notre Dame, but these four all or these three are tied. Then Wake, Virginia, FSU, and here's Syracuse. So it's not even that awful. It's just very middling. It's a middling team, and you're very solid at home, really bad on the road, and. I mean, Tech, I mean, the NC State win was necessary. You have to beat Tech. Only played Tech one time this year. You split with Pitt, which was really bad. And you still have both your Boston College games left. You still have your one Virginia Tech meeting left. And you beat Clemson. And you have Louisville left. So that's the thing. A lot of their schedule is beneath them. Florida State already split and played. Virginia already lost. Wake already played. Only have to play Notre Dame once. Only have to play UNC once. Only have Miami once. And that's the last game of the year. And then Duke, you already have won the game played. So the majority of those games are already done. 
So that's at least the one piece of solace I have with the schedule is that your schedule actually is fairly favorable, not extremely, but fairly. So I wouldn't say Syracuse is 100% out yet, but I wouldn't bet anything on them coming back. <laughs> I, I would not yeah. think that's going to happen. But um, uh, we now can move on to our bracketology look. Uh, this is not going to be a crazy in-depth part just because we're still a month out, but good to look. Um, top overall seed, obviously Auburn, as I've mentioned, is the best team right now. First team out is West Virginia, and the last team in is the Wyoming Cowboys. Uh, your last four buys are going to be Loyola, Chicago, Seton Hall, UNC, and San Francisco. Uh, West Coast Conference, really good conference this year. The conference Gonzaga's in that everyone thinks that Gonzaga's in and no one else is in. Actually, a very good conference this year. Um, last four in are San Diego State, Florida, Creighton, and Wyoming. And your first four out are West Virginia, Oregon, and Mississippi State, and Florida State. And your next four out are Notre Dame, UAB, SMU, and VCU. Notre Dame uh, started to climb those boards a little bit. Um, but, yeah, out of these sort of bubble teams, it's going to be interesting to see who's going to sort of step up to the plate, who's going to fall off. But um, I know I'm excited to see the boards break out. If Syracuse, or sorry, if TCU played today, um, I want to say they would – uh, TC would be, I think, an eight seed, and they would play against St. Mary's of the West Coast Conference. Oh, we're going down. Oh, we're lo- we are losing yeah. that game by thirty points. That would be in Indianapolis. Thirty points. <laughs> I don't. I want to go to some games this year because uh, your locations for um, March Madness. Um, the Midwest will have uh, – there's – sorry, there's Greenville, Buffalo, Milwaukee, Fort Worth, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Portland, San Diego, and that's it. And then your regionals are south of San Antonio, west San Francisco, east Philly, and midwest Chicago. Um, so pretty cool. Pretty exciting. Love me some March Madness. Uh, this is updated as of two days ago. Um, it'll probably update again late tonight or tomorrow. Uh, the Big 12, Big 10, Big East, and SEC all have seven teams. ACC and West Coast Conference and Mountain West have four. So, wow, has the ACC fallen? And then Pac-12 with three and the Missouri Valley with two, and the rest are all one. So, could be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. This could be pretty neat. Um, but, again, San Francisco could be an 11 seed. So, Watch out, a team that we never talk about. <laughs> San Francisco of the West Coast Conference uh, could be a pretty exciting team to watch this season. I'm ready to just see the bracket. I'm ready to have it all in front of me. I'm ready to be so wrong about so many things. Incredible. I'm ready to have my bracket busted in the first 10 minutes of March Madness, as it always yep. is. I'm ready to lose so much money. <laughs> <laughs> it, it will be a lot, but I'm excited for it. But I'm already looking ahead. I've already looked at my – um my list of like the, of what I did um, for the bracketology and the conference outlook and everything uh, for all these teams. So that to me is uh, always lots of fun to look through um, what we did for March Madness preview. Uh, So very, very fun to see that. Cannot wait for March Madness to come back again. Uh, We're still a month away, but it's always fun to talk about this stuff, but that is all I have for this episode of the Wayne Coverage Podcast. If you have anything else. Nope, that is all for me. Thank you so much for listening to the Blanket Coverage Podcast. Go check out Jack's Reel on YouTube. Search Jack Wallace Reporter Reel and you will find it. Uh, Go check out a blog that I wrote about the Tennessee Titans on gtdsports.com. In the link below... Uh, go check it out. I'm gonna. I I've just written more and more about why Ryan Tannehill shouldn't be the quarterback of the Tennessee Titans, and I won't stop until Ryan Tannehill is no longer the quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. I did actually have one more thing, uh, just for a quick remark. Um, Aaron Rodgers. This is from Jared Stillman, uh, who is a very um, let's call him boisterous. Uh, radio host in uh, Nashville on 102.5 The Game. Used to have a show with uh, GM Floyd Reese, who was the GM uh, of the yes. 99 Titans. I know, where you're, I know where you're going, even though this is purely speculation and Brady did the same thing. Jared Stillman says that sources tell him 
Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has purchased property in nearby Franklin, Tennessee. Beautiful area. Um, great place to, uh, you know, settle down in your late 30s. Okay, to um, be fair, Aaron Rodgers' teammates did say that they don't think he's going to return to the Packers anyway. Um, yes, correct. Um, <laughs> sources also say that Mr. Rodgers is, quote, open to joining the Titans. Uh, I did want to mention that, um, per sources, Aaron Rodgers also likes private flights, so he will be open to joining the New York Jets. And he also enjoys zoos, so he will be open to the Jaguars and the Lions. So uh, just note on that. <laughs> um, I Obviously, the Broncos are the favorite to land Rodgers at this point. Um, but I'll go back to what I said earlier, which is our GM – if you're if you're a GM and you read that news about your team, you say, "Wait, Aaron Rodgers is buying property 30 minutes away from the Titans team facility." If you're a GM and you read that news and you are not on the phone trying to get Aaron Rodgers uh, on your team, you are not doing your job. Um, now, whether that actually pans out, I mean, we saw it with Brady. Brady, there were reports that he wanted to come to Nashville. Um, and the Titans said, no, thanks. We'll give Ryan Tannehill 30 mil a year um, and then end up with a $54 million dead cap hit if we cut him after year three. Who was going to pay that for Ryan Tannehill? There's no one, there were no other teams that were going to pay that for Ryan Tannehill. Uh, but I digress. Um, I, I'll stop there. <laughs> um, once again, thanks so much for listening to the Billington Coverage Podcast. Make sure to check out all our stuff. Uh, aside from the podcast, make sure to check out some other GTD podcasts. Um, but for now, I am Noah Parker. And I'm Jack Wallace. Peace, Peace out, out y'all. y'all.